What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Ben and Chris Talk Sports. I am Chris. And I am Ben. We're here to bring you our opinions on our news, notes, and happenings from around the world of sports. Episode 182. We were off last week, and uh, that, that's something we might just be doing from now on if, if it's a slow news week like it was last week. We really don't want to give you a subpar show. We want to wait to those topics we actually feel like we can add something to and discuss in a, a uh, you know, creative manner, entertaining manner. So we'd rather skip a week than just bring you daily mindless dribble, honestly. So to get into this episode, we have, if I can pull up my list here, very professional to not have that out. That's great. Okay, here it is. All right, we're going to start with Juan Soto, superstar, superstar outfielder, I believe he is, for the Washington Nationals, 23 years old. Kid started playing in the majors at 19 and 2018 for the Nationals. He's a phenom. They've said before, last year even, when they were having their fire sale, anybody but Soto's available. He's going to be their cornerstone, their building block. Got two years left on his current, well, and his whatever baseball calls it. because He's got two con- years of arbitration. Arbitration. Contract situations in baseball are still screwed up, despite the new CBA. And uh, they offered him a deal. They offered him a 15-year deal, which would, you know, bring him to 38. That'd be the majority of most players' career. For $440 million, that is $29.3 million per season. Keep in mind, baseball contracts are fully guaranteed. So as long as he did not violate the terms of the contract in any manner, he could get hurt the day after he signs it, and he'd still get $440 million. He declined it. Uh, That's certainly his prerogative. And that's his choice. Uh, but that makes me wonder, what is in the water down there in D.C.? Now, not for any political reason. That's a whole other can of worms. But Bryce Harper did the same thing. They offered him a huge contract. Not even anything, not even anything close to the 440 they offered Soto. And then Harper declined because he wanted to be the first half-billion-dollar player. It's funny enough, they win a championship year after he leaves. I mean, I don't know what this Soto kid's expecting. I mean, he's a phenom. He's on pace to just destroy, like, everything. But a lot plays into that. A lot plays into that. Can you stay healthy? Can you keep up your level of competition? Uh, Is the team around you going to be somewhat competitive, which I can understand him being concerned in, in Washington. Yeah, they did win a World Series a couple years ago, but they've a steep drop-off since then. Uh, I I don't really know what he's waiting for. The only thing I can think of is he just just doesn't want to be in Washington long-term. Does he have another team in mind he wants to play for? I mean, look, a lot of kids who grew up in the Dominican Republic, Yankees are huge there. They want to play for the Yankees. Is that what he's aiming for? Because I don't think the Yankees are going to be able to give Judge a mega deal and sign Soto or he trade for Soto. Um... I don't know what this kid's thinking. I mean, even if he asks for a shorter deal, hey, give me a six-year deal. That way I'm still in my 20s when it's over with. For maybe six for you know, the equivalent, six for 30 per. He'd probably do it. He just straight up declined it. And now, now they're shopping him around to other teams because, which is smart, two years of arbitration left. They can still get something for him. They can get a haul for this guy. They can get a record-setting haul for this guy. He's already MVP caliber, and he's 23 years old. So it's going to be interesting to see where this goes and how this plays out. So there's a lot 
there's a lot that you've put out on the table, Chris, and I'm going to try to touch every one of them because I've kind of been looking at this for quite a few days now. And even at adding on the Aaron Judge kind of situation, that puts another whole angle on it too. Um, as far as for Soto, he's been somewhat consistent through the past, actually his entire career. I think his one outlier, and we can agree on that, the outlier is 2020, which we know what that was. Mm -hmm. That was COVID year. So you can, in 47 games, he, he hit 13 bombs. You know, extrapolate that out to the entire season. You're probably looking at it, the numbers on the back of the card, basically. Um, as far as the Yankees, I can, I can see that. I can see that happening. Um, the problem the Yankees have is, you're right, how can they pay Judge and Soto? They're still paying Giancarlo Stanton. They're paying Garrett Cole. I don't know when I'll draw this Chapman's deals up because he's obviously not closing anymore. Like, you got a lot of, you got a lot of big money going on there, and I don't think the timeline is good because Aaron Judge is a free agent at the end of the season. He's last year of arbitration. They just agreed to it uh, about a month or two ago, and Soto's got two years of arbitration. That's three playoff runs. That's this year. That's next year and the year after. That is that's prime right there. Corner outfielder or center fielder. I don't know what he's playing right now. You know what he's playing right now? I think it's right field. I want to say it's right field. Um, yeah, he's playing right field. So even even playing a corner outfield, he's got the power numbers any team's looking at. But if you're any team, you're gonna be like, I'm gonna have to give up the entire farm yeah you're talking your top four to five prospects on your list and then maybe another one if they don't want a major league major league uh, ready player because you got to remember chris they don't really have to align the, the dollar figures in baseball no so can i see a deal happening yes I just don't know if I see one this year because if you're the Washington Nationals, you could still get the same value, in my opinion, maybe a smidge less, but you can get the same value in November that you can right now. But as soon as you hit trading deadline next year and you don't make that deal, the value comes down because now you have one less playoff run. And maximize it by saying, okay, right now he doesn't want this deal. We're not going to make it much sweeter. Let's let's pull the trigger now. Let's find a team that is willing. And honestly, you want a desperate team that wants to win. A desperate team that hasn't won in years. Maybe you call Seattle Mariners. They got that kid, uh, Julio Rodriguez, who's starting to light it up in the majors. Maybe you make him part of the centerpiece deal because he's, he's a rookie this year. Mm -hmm. He seems like he's on pace for rookie of the year. Maybe you package some of the other players or, like you said, the Yankees. 
maybe that's a package deal there uh, and they can make it work. They let, maybe they let judge go at the end of the season. And that's, that's your building block. And, you know, you have two years. I don't know where Giancarlo Stanton's contract lines up, but boy, I can tell you as soon as they can get out of it, they're going to get out of it. Oh yeah. And, yeah. and, and, you know, and this is just kind of throwing stuff out there. I don't know for sure if any other team is willing to bite on this. But for some reason, those two teams kind of stand out. And Seattle's sort of the desperate, we want to win, we need to push in. It looks like we might have a chance this year. But I don't know if if it's the right team, it's the right time to push all in with these chips. Um, they're nine games out of uh, behind Houston in the West, which probably puts them in at least one of the wild card spots. Uh, it actually puts them tied with the Tim Bay race uh, for a wild card spot. So I think there's a possibility here, uh, especially when you look at an AL club. I think Washington more, more would want to lean towards sending him to the AL. And, and lessen the opportunity for him to come back and kind of bite him in the ass a little bit. So that's what I look at, kind of the whole scheme of, of Juan Soto. I think, he, I think he is well within his rights to not take the deal. I think he can get more. If he hits the open market, this kid is going to set the market. I agree he can get more than 30 per. The, the pro the thing that I'm curious about is he was guaranteed 30 per for the next 15 years. Not a lot of guys have that. I mean, you might get a contract. I mean, Pujols pretty much served out his entire contract with the Angels, uh, which nobody really thought would happen, but it did. But at the end, they were way overpaying. They were overpaying for previous performance. And, I mean, you're probably not going to have that problem with Soto. Doesn't seem injury prone. Only 23 probably only going to get better. I mean, his stats are not mind-blowing. I mean, it's not like, I mean, he doesn't have Mike Trout in the beginning of his year numbers, but he's a very solid player with a ton of upside who's super young and is only going to get better. I got to tell you, though, you said Julio Rodriguez for the Mariners. If I'm the Mariners, it, you could give me my weight in gold and I wouldn't trade Julio Rodriguez. This kid is a five-tool player. He's faster than, than uh, he's faster than Soto. And right now his stats are better than Soto when he's only a rookie. Now, probably is a little bit better of a team around him, but he's also not in a more hitter-friendly park. So it's kind of evens out there. And, and you I, I wouldn't trade, I wouldn't trade Rodriguez that, for anything. Right, but there's also one factor you do have to put into play. One, he had his early season stumbles. Clearly, he got around those. So that's a plus in his, in his market. Um, but is he going to hit a rookie wall? Is he going to hit, you know, sometime in, and this is what the Mariners are thinking about. Is it sometime in August, sometime in September, uh, you know, before they expand the rosters, is he going to hit a wall where, you know, he just doesn't have enough left in him. And then come October, you know, they make the wild card and they're one and done and that's it. It's, it's a factor. I'm not saying it's a guarantee. No, no, yeah that they're going to say, here's Julio Rodriguez and three other prospects because Julio has proven that, you know, he's a major league star. So we don't need to give you up the capital of, let's say, five 
prospects or six prospects that haven't proven anything. But, you know, without chipping away at all the teams and seeing who who would be in on it, who would be out on it, that looks like a team where for years they've been desperate to get into this, you know, this this playoff mix. And they went as far as to sign Robinson to Cano to his huge deal. They've had, had Keegan Felix for years, did nothing with him. Now they're trying – this new iteration of the Seattle Mariners, I wonder if they're going to try to push in. They might push all in and go for it if they can. I think if they do, it'd be a mistake because I think in the past, they've either not done anything soon enough or done it too, or done it too late. That's the same thing. Um, <laughs> they've, they've moved too early or, or, or too late. I think they're right where they need to be right now. They have a lot of young players that are coming along and developing, and then they got this kid they brought up who they didn't expect to be so good so quick. And look, the thing about baseball is, look, you can put a, a, a star player, a stud player on an NFL team, and they have a much bigger singular impact than a star stud player on a baseball team. That's just a fact. Uh, you can look, Juan Soto's been on the Nationals for the last four years. And they won a World Series in 2019. They weren't very good in 2020. And they weren't very good last year. And they're not outstanding this year. So why? I mean, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Why are you going to trade a top prospect in the game, a kid who's only 21, who had, looks like he has all the tools, for, uh, I'm looking at the numbers, a guy who looks like he might be falling into the power hitter's trap. The only problem is Soto is not a top power hitter. I mean, he had 34 home runs is his career high in 2019 when he won the World Series. 110 RBIs. 2020 was, you know, an outlier season. That was weird. 13 homers, 37 RBIs. Following year, 29 and 95. Mm-hmm. You know how many guys in the league at 29 home runs and 95 RBIs? Right. Pretty decent well, amount. I mean, not yeah. a ton, but pretty decent. His average is the lowest it's been only halfway through the season, 90 games in. He's only batting 250. He hit 313 last year, 351 in 2020, 282 in 2019, and then his rookie year, 292. Like, it could just be it's weighing on him that there isn't a whole lot of star power around him. But you have to take these things into consideration once you see a player start demanding all that because that, that'll – That'll make a guy's stock tank really quick with a lot of teams. It happened with Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper yeah. got offered massive money. And I, I, just full disclosure, I think Juan Soto is going to be a far better overall player than Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper's a damn fine player. Don't get me wrong. Not hating on Bryce Harper. I think in the long run, you're going to say Juan Soto was better. Maybe not, though. If this is a continuing trend downward, a trend, I mean, half the season. I'm being a little extreme here. I get it. But I'm just laying it all out there. Then... Maybe this guy's not worth 35 or 40. I mean, remember how good John Carlos Stanton was in the beginning of his career? Yep. He was an absolute animal, an MVP caliber player in a small pond. Got traded in the Yankees, and he's been okay when he's healthy, but he's nothing super special. And he's on a team around him that can hit like crazy, and he's still not all that impressive, to be honest with you, for what they're paying him. Is that going to happen with Soto? Is he going to get traded somewhere? And I know Seattle is not a big-time you know, big market like New York. But is he going to get traded somewhere where now they traded for him, expecting him to be the face of the franchise, expecting him to be the guy? He is that, 
in Washington, but he was drafted and kind of brought up. He wasn't, they didn't trade the farm to get him to make him that. This kid right now is showing under pressure. He's not exactly the stud player he was when he had all that around him. And that kind of worries me. Now, that's just bringing, putting everything out there. Ask me right now, would I take Juan Soto on my team if I had a chance? Absolutely. Hands down 100%. Baseball money's monopoly money. Just give the guy a blank check. Say, what do you want? And come play for us. I don't care. Whatever. But I wouldn't if I was the Mariners trade Rodriguez. Uh, and <laughs> supposedly the front runners or the team that's having the most serious discussions at this point is the San Diego Padres. They want to pair him with Fernando Tatis Jr. In a move that just screams we've turned off fair trades in the settings. Um, um, <laughs> so, I mean, um, you say that's a dream team. Is it? I mean, every time the, the Padres seem to kind of get a good thing going and they get a good chemistry with their team and they get a good combination of players. We saw it after a couple a couple seasons ago when we thought they were going to be a, a World Series contender. They made all these moves in the offseason, brought in all these star-studded players, and they were worse than they were the year before. Because baseball, as much as any sport, is very dependent on chemistry. And you screwed it up when you brought in so many new people. And then they kind of were competitive again. They kind of got it back, and they were all right. Hmm. But you kind of see Machado and Tatis Jr. have kind of scuffled in the past. It's not exactly, you know, it's not exactly going as smoothly as they thought it would when they started making all those moves. But let's just say, for instance, they do have the firepower to land Soto. How the hell do they get him? Obviously, they're not trading Tatis Jr. That'd be insane. Not only is this kid dynamic, but, you know, he's going to be one of the faces of the game for the next 10 years. Easy. Uh, They have Machado and you Darvish. But Darvish has already had Tommy John, and he's getting up there in age. Machado, I mean, how much have you heard about Manny Machado the last couple of years since he signed with the, with the Padres? His stats are okay, but he's not the guy coming from Baltimore where we thought he was going to be this world beater that was going to lead a team to championships. He hasn't shown that kind of acumen at all. So are they going to take those guys for Soto? I doubt it. They have Jake Cronenworth, who's 28, but he looks like an outstanding player. He's been on the team since 2020, one of their top prospects. who is panning out very nicely. He's an all-star this year. They could wrap a package around him. But then how the hell are you paying Tatis Jr. and Soto? Because if Soto's turning down 30, guaranteed 30 for the next 15 years, he has his eyes set on a price tag much higher than 30 per. And that's going to be hard for any team to stomach. On more than like a two or three year deal. I don't know. It's an interesting move. The only thing I'll add to that, Chris, is uh, I'm looking at Bleacher Report's uh, 2022 quarter way through farm system report, and San Diego was sixth. So, yeah. And they have two, four. Four tier one prospects. I don't know. I, I don't know much about their tier process, but it seems like they got the artillery to go get that. And if I'm if I'm the Nationals, I'm just 
look, you have no chance at catching anybody this year. You don't have, I don't think you have the firepower the following year. You might as well just absorb as many prospects as you can and, and do what the Padres did years ago. Fire sale, sell them off, and then you have all this artillery so that way when you're when you're ready to pull triggers and you want to assign free agents, a la Manny Machado, Eric Hosmer, signing those free agents. What a good move now you was. can start making those moves and making trades and have that farm system to pull from. I thought they were tapped, but apparently they're not tapped. So uh, I, yeah. I guess this makes sense, but that's that's a scary lineup, to be honest with you. Oh, and if I'm the Nationals, I absolutely I agree. I 100% trade them if I'm the Nationals. But I think I gamble, like, like you said, I gamble and I let him play out the rest of the season. And I yeah. tell him, hey, look, we're going to try to move you to a team that you know, we want you here, but it's fine. You have your right to decline the offer. No problem. No hard feelings. We want to win-win. We want to trade you to a team that's pretty competitive. We also have to get proper – you know, we have to get proper return for you. So we play out the rest of this season. And if he puts up good numbers and he hits around 260, 270, which nowadays makes you a stud. I mean, 20 years ago, you were a schmuck if you had under 250. Now you hit 210 and 40 home runs and you get 20 million a year. It's insane. But, uh, you know, I I would move him and I'd do it in the offseason. I'd trade him out to winter meetings. I, I, I'd just say, put all you have into the second half of the season. Let's see mm-hmm. what happens. Go get your monster stats. It'll be good for you. It'll be good for us. You'll get go get your forty to forty five a year till the end of time, and we'll get five top tier prospects, maybe a couple of major league ready players. But that that uh, man, it's it. It's this this kind of deal is just so hard because the player has to live up to expectations, and then at least a couple of the prospects have to become stars to make it a win win, and yeah. that's so hard to happen. That so rarely happens. I, I can't remember the last time it actually did happen where both sides of a huge trade uh, didn't feel like uh, they got shafted. Or at least one side didn't feel like they got shafted. Right, yeah. Because it's there's so many variables. It, it, it's, it's impossible to predict what's going to happen. And I, I just, I think, I think you're correct. Um, I think we'll agree on this. Because right now, if you just look at it, quickly there's about eight to ten teams that wouldn't even probably maybe they consider it but they probably wouldn't push all in to get one solo one soto because they're just not in it they're not in the fight so if you're the washington nationals you now have subtract the rest of the nles because the odds of them training in division are microscopic oh yeah that'd be a terrible idea yeah. so you're taking what you're taking t- eight to ten teams off the board that you're going to have conversations with. It's not financially sound in as far as like the transactional of of getting the maximum uh, return on investment mm-hmm. in Juan Soto. However, teams get in the off season, they get this revived. Hey, we're zero and zero. We might we might have a chance this year. Let's push all in. Plus, you have that, you know, 
you can you can bump up your player your farm system a little bit more pump their tires a little bit and really you know hey this guy's really good and get that out there so that way you can pump the tires of that player and maybe you can make that deal for Juan Soto and giving up a player that hmm, maybe you like but you don't really like yeah and now you trade him away and now he's um let me uh who's that player the Red Sox traded for oh, uh, Anderson Espinosa. Darling of the Red Sox farm system was in the Craig Kimbrel deal. A lot of people were upset. I was like on the fence, but a lot of people were upset. Have you heard from him since? No. Yeah. So it's one of those you could push all, all in and that team could get a bunch of absolute nothing that turns out to zero so i think i think we're both in agreement here it, you can test the water but to maximize your return i think you want as many teams at the table as possible and go into winter meetings where every team's there it just makes more sense to try to try to work out a deal there and maybe you can make a three a three team trade happen and Maybe you get the NL East involved somehow, and, and it just seems more sensible to go all in and make this deal in the off season. Give a team two playoff runs, see what happens, and now you can, and then you can move on to the future with uh, a brand new system and a find yourself a new cornerstone. Well, we will definitely have more. Uh, more on this as it as it you know progresses and it's also entirely possible this is all just uh gamesmanship and they announce in two weeks that he signed a 10-year 400 million dollar deal it's that all that everything's still in play right now everything's still in play okay on to the nfl because that's that's what we do here uh my list is missing again where is it there we go all right so vikings Star wide receiver, Justin Jefferson. One of their two star receivers, by the way. Adam Thielen is still underrated. Says he will be the best receiver in the NFL after this year. Agree? No. We'll find out where I stand because we're doing our top five receiver list later. Uh, but agree or disagree, I like the way he phrased that. Because a, a lot of receivers, receiver is... is pretty synonymous with being the the diva position quote you know the the guys who were always whining and crying and they're so sensitive and you can't touch them and all that and that's actually turned into quarterback position now honestly but you know traditionally it has been plenty of tough wide receivers that's just that's the that's the knock on receivers i'm the best i'm the best i'm the best because i say i'm the best the thing i like about this kid is he came out and said, after this season, you're going to call me the best in the league. What he's saying, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to show you. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. And I'm going to go out there and do it. And then you're going to know it. I love that attitude. I love that attitude. I would take a player like that on my team any day. Any day. Don't just say, oh, I did this two years ago. I'm the best. He's saying, watch what I do. And then you're going to know how good I am. And if... <laughs> If what he can do this year is that much better than what he's done his first two seasons, whew, 
Look out. I think the only thing that hurts him is uh, Kirk Cousins. That's the only thing that's going to hurt him. So if he can battle through the funks that Kirk Cousins go through. Um, hey, that's what Kirk Cousins calls his career. Right. Um, and we'll have to see what the regime change turns into. You know, are they going to be more of a passing team? Are they getting away from Dalvin Cook being the, the workhorse? Which might not be a bad thing for him because, you know, he seems to, over the past few years, just kind of worn down a little bit being the, the bell cow. And he's still dynamic. He's still one of the best running sure. backs in the league. But it almost makes sense to kind of, you know, lighten the load a little bit and make him last. Make him get, get him get him into the playoffs. And then in, you know, three games – then you can say, "All right, Dalvin, let's let's run the rock through you. We'll play action, and we can make it happen." But right now, I just think uh, the one thing that's going to hurt Jefferson is is going to be Kirk Cousins. I think I think honestly, with with Cook, I think the, the new head coach of the Vikings is much more pass friendly than run friendly. Not that he's not going to utilize Cook; Cook's going to be just fine. But I think it's going to help, like you said, Cook's longevity and his health because they're going to pass more which may actually help Cousins because now it's not going to be two handoffs to Dalvin Cook, and then you have to throw it. If Cook didn't pick up, you know, seven or eight yards, you can't run it on third down if you're, you know, every time if you're third and seven. Right. So that now Cook is two, three, four plays in a row getting handed the ball, and this happens over and over again, and now it's week five, and he misses three weeks because he's got something sprained or pulled. Or, or worse. And now you have to have Cousins throwing 50 times a game because, you know, I mean, their backup running backs look fine the last couple of years. Uh, you know, Madison and uh, Nwangu looked okay last year. But, I mean, they're certainly not Dalvin Cook. So you give Dalvin, you, you say Dalvin, you're going you're gonna to have 80% capacity of your carries and catches and touches in general, as opposed to previous seasons. I take 80% Dalvin Cook. Uh, um, uh, plays per game and have him for every game as opposed to 12 games at 100% where it's not even 100% because he's still banged up. So I think the new offensive strategy with, with throwing more, you have two insane receivers. Thielen and Jefferson are just dynamic. They are ridiculously good. Cousins if he can be more creative on offense, which is a coaching staff situation, I blame Kirk Cousins for plenty of things. Kirk Cousins doesn't drop the offense. That's a coaching problem. The coaches are more creative, and it doesn't have to be hand off to Devin Cook or throw 40 yards down the field to Thielen or Jefferson. They can kind of mix it up a little bit. There's a big space of in between there. <laughs> There's a lot more short passes, short runs, screen passes, screen plays. This offense could be very dangerous. Whether they can play defense or at all is a different story. Whether they win more than five games is a different story. Who knows? But they have the offensive firepower and I think the coaching mindset to do some good things. That brings us to uh, our old buddy Jimmy G. Jimmy G. Good old Jimmy. Trey Lance's water boy. Not a kid. Um, so Baker got traded last week or two weeks ago now to Panthers. 
So we don't have to worry about that awkward situation where <laughs> Deshaun Watson gets suspended for an entire season and the Browns go, hey, Baker. Uh, I've heard, and anybody else who follows NFL news has probably heard the same thing, that there's a higher probability that the Browns reach out to the Niners and say, what do you want for Jimmy G? Now, the way the Browns structured Deshaun Watson's contract, they owe him barely nothing this year if he doesn't play. And they have 40-something million in cap space. And it's the last year of Jimmy G's contract. So if they don't want to say, hey, we just have a dead year this year. Baker's gone. Deshaun's suspended. We're just going to win two games and get a high draft pick next year. They want to be, compete and use that draft capital. Or excuse me, the, um, the salary cap. Wouldn't be a bad move. Not going to have to trade a whole ton to get him. I mean, they're not going first-round pick for Jimmy G. Honestly, at this point, you're maybe maybe a third at best. At best. At third, maybe maybe a conditional pick. Maybe a third, and if he ends up being a pro bowler and they make the Super Bowl, maybe a second-round pick. Who knows? I also heard the Giants. Obviously, Daniel Jones is not the guy. It's, you know, you, you were on that from the beginning, and then there was a slight period of time where it looked like, ah, this kid might actually have it. And then he stumbled, tripping over air, and Literally. that quickly went away. Uh, the only thing he could have done worse is fall up the stairs, which I've done before, but I'm not on an NFL field, so it's a little bit different. Uh, I think Jimmy would be a good fit in either spot. If I'm, if I'm Jimmy, I pray it's Cleveland and not the Giants. Because that, man, you talk about an offense that is so up in the air. The Giants, I mean, yeah, they have Kenny Galladay. Kenny Galladay does not at all fit in the offensive structure of that team. Although there's a new coaching staff, much like Minnesota. So maybe they'll change things around, make it work. Saquon. Saquon was dynamic his rookie year. And since then, he hasn't been healthy. So who knows what we're getting from him. We're th almost three years removed from, oh my God, look what that kid can do. Uh, Kadarius Tony, they already thought about trading in the offseason. So what's that say about him? <laughs> that a real you know, first round draft pick receiver. Oh, we're going to move him after one year. And then that consistent offensive line struggles. That team's invested so much in the offensive line. Jimmy G's kind of injury prone. No, not kind of. He is injury prone. How's he going to do on a team with a line that can't protect him? If I'm him, I'm, I'm hoping if I get moved, it's Cleveland. I still sit on he's going to stay with the Niners. I just – I think they're not 100% bought into Trey Lance yet uh, until they kind of see – I think they're willing to let him go into free agency because they got what they got out of him and they're okay with moving on without him. Uh, but I think they want a season of Trey Lance – and let's be honest, Jimmy G might not be 100% right now. So yeah. trade value might not be what what they might expect or what the Niner fans might expect. So I think right now it makes sense to keep a hold of him. You still got Trey Lance under a rookie contract. And even though you're paying Jimmy G QB1 money, I think the move is just to retain him for this season and then you move on. Let him go in free agency. And then you got your quarterback, supposedly quarterback of the future. And if it proves that Trey Lance isn't the guy and 
you need to keep him for a year or two. That's a possibility too. I, I'm not going to put that out of the realm of possibility. Um, I just, I just don't, I don't see why it makes sense right now to to really go all in with Trey Lance when you haven't haven't had a successful game at all with him at quarterback. Because at least with with Lamar at the end of his rookie season, he flashed. Uh, Patrick Mahomes at the end of his rookie season, he flashed. This is a Super Bowl-ready team. Do you want to put all your eggs in the basket with Trey Lance? And you're already having issues with with Debo Samuel. Yeah. Coming into the coming in with with his contract demands, it's just a hard. It, it is hard. I will admit it is hard. Um, I just don't know. And he he is a he is an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season. Uh, Jimmy G is so. This is it. Um, I, I wouldn't blame him to go all in. I I know I've said in the past. That for some rookie quarterbacks you need to go all in. Yeah, that's a rookie quarterback that played his entire senior season or his last college season, put up good, good to bet, good to great numbers. Went into the college football playoff or BCS or whatever it was at that period of time. This kid played one game in his last year. And then they got yanked off the field because of uh, COVID, and that um, um, the FCS didn't play. I don't think the rest of the season. So, it was it his fault? No, it wasn't his fault. But the guy hasn't played a full game, a full meaningful game. I don't think since his last year at college, and he's been he's been in the uh, NFL for. This will be year number three, I think, right? Yeah, yeah this will be not, year number no, three. No, it's be second year. For Trey Lance? Yeah, Trey Lance. Second year. He got drafted with Matt Jones. Oh, you're right. So, second year. So, he hasn't had a full meaningful game in almost, probably almost three years now. Yeah, I get that. And, I mean, it's, it's so hard because you come from both sides of it. It's... Yeah, he hasn't played a full meaningful game in three years. But you know how you get better? Sitting on a bench and not playing. So it's a double-edged sword. And, I mean, it's not like Jimmy G has absolutely shined in these playoff games. Yeah, they beat the Packers last year. They beat the Packers because of Debo Samuel and dumb luck. I mean, not because of Jimmy Garoppolo. So, I mean, it's been great defense and just insanely talented skill position players. George Kittle, when he's able to get on the field and stay healthy. Debo Samuel. Uh, uh, the kid they drafted two years ago, the receiver. Uh, Brandon Ayuk's been really solid for him. He's only going to get better. I get the fear of Trey Jimmy G bringing Trey Lance, and then maybe he stumbles. But remember, the Niners did not just draft Trey Lance the spot they had him. They traded up massively. They traded a ton of draft capital to trade up and get this kid. And everybody thought they were going to go for Mac Jones. Well, a lot of people thought they were going to go for Matt Jones. And they ended up going for Trey Lance. And you don't make that kind of move unless you're saying, that's our guy of the future. So, if, if, 
and you also don't make that move if you're completely sold on the current quarterback you have who's on a very lucrative contract who's still young. So what have they seen from Jimmy G's playoff performances? What have they seen uh, since Trey Lance got drafted to make them go, you know what, this is year two. We're going to get rid of Jimmy. We're going to make Trey the guy. We're going to give him the ball and say run with it or throw it. And we're going to see what we got because we're not counting Super Bowl rings with the last couple of years we had with Jimmy G. So let's see what Lance has. Maybe Lance, if he gets a full offseason of practice and he gets a full camp and he gets first team reps, maybe he doesn't look awesome this year, but maybe he's on par with Jimmy G. And if I'm Jimmy G, like, I know I said I'd rather go to the Browns, but I was talking about between the two teams, the Giants or the Browns, because the Browns have a phenomenal offensive line and two stud running backs. And Jimmy G is the best person in the league at handing the ball off and just waiting to win the game. (laughs) I don't mean it as a knock. The man's making $30 million a year to hand the ball off. Envious. You know, congratulations on figuring out that racket. But I don't know. It's it's a tough spot they found themselves in, but they made the moves they made for a reason, and now they're scared to pull the trigger one way or the other. And it, it doesn't it doesn't present itself well to the rest of the team who looks at the decisions the front office is making. It's just going to be about whether they feel how comfortable they feel with Trey Lance. That'll be it. And we're in July. So players are, if they're not already, they're going to be coming to training camp. And oh, we're a few weeks away from preseason. Like it's 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 time to make that so, choice. Yeah. So it 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 is time to say, you know, either hey Trey, you're the starting quarterback, Jimmy, you're back because they. I just saw a report he he has resumed throwing uh, as of four days ago. So Jimmy's throwing. So if he's throwing now. I mean, what's he going to be like in a month? I don't know. So if he's just throwing, then Trey Lance is obviously taking the reps with the ones because you're not going to want Jimmy, Jimmy, uh, you know, going full right. tilt with right. the ones. So I, I'd give Trey Lance the ones, one reps, and and go from there and let Jimmy rehab and rehabilitate and get get ready for going and be be a backup and. Goes into free agency. And I, honestly, I think if he gets one shot at the end of the year as, you know, starting, whether it's injury, whether it's, you know, they have a playoff spot locked up and they're confident and they want to give him a one game, just sort of like, thank you, Jimmy. Here's one game. Go show teams you can, you can still throw and, and play. Maybe that'll put him in a position where teams like, we're close. We're close. Jimmy might be the answer. So I, I would just stick with, I, I would keep him. I you, think you're on the hook for him already anyway. So I think it just makes sense at this point just to stay, keep him on the team and go with him. You know what I want to see? I want to see, you know how like quarterback gets hurt and like they're, you know, they get a shoulder injury or something. They say, oh, so-and-so has resumed throwing in practice. With Jimmy G, I want to see. Jimmy G has resumed handing off in practice. <laughs> All right, now on to, uh, speaking of receivers and top five, which is a poor transition because we weren't 
we have our, as promised last time, on our episode 181 two weeks ago, our top five receivers, according to Ben and I. Uh, we kind of had a little mix-up. Ben thought it was wide receiver duos, and uh, so he did that. And we were kind of curious as to why he could only come up with a certain number. And I'm like, oh, Ben knows the game way better than that. Why is he only coming up with this amount? He's like, I can only come up with nine. I'm like, there's 32 teams full of players. Come on, man. <laughs> but uh, he was doing duos. And uh, so we're going to, next episode, we're going to we're gonna do uh, best receiving duos. Yeah, top five, top ten. Let's, let's do top five again. So we're going to do that next episode. Well, that ends up being next week or two weeks from now. We'll we'll see what the content looks like during the week. Uh, but well, we have the uh, trading deadline coming up in two weeks. Okay. For baseball, so yep. that'll be something. Oh, for sure, yeah, yeah. So let's get to it. Uh, we have not shown each other these lists. We have no idea what to expect. Uh, we're just gonna go from five to one, and well, there's one thing we know to expect. What's that? That DK, uh, no, uh, Devontae. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I left Devontae Adams off my list because I consistently say he's, to me, the best receiver in the game. The hands, the footwork is just second to none. So I did my top five not named Devontae Adams because. This is like, this is like when we did uh, quarterbacks and we're like, let's just, let's just take Patrick off the table. We already know. Oh yeah, the, yeah, elite quarterbacks. Yeah, no, no, Patrick Mahomes, no Josh Allen. We already know those guys. Let's go with the right. best of the rest. So, right. so if anybody hears this list, it's not a knock on Devontae. He's he's the star he's, with the check mark on top of the list. It's just everyone else. Yeah, he's different. He's built different. I mean, it's a fact. Look at the guy play. I mean, you can't <laughs> go ahead and deny it. You're you're lying to yourself. All right, you want to go first? Number five. Yeah, I'm going to start it at five. Yeah. Okay. So my number five is AJ Brown of okay. the Philadelphia Eagles. Going off his recent history, every year he's been productive, and I think now that he transitions to the Eagles, I, I don't think there's going to be a drop off. I think it'll actually be better. Uh, there'll be even more weapons, and they're a passing. They're going to be run heavy because the style of their game is run but I think there's going to be some shootouts and they're going to evolve this offense to try to expand Jalen Hurts into more of a passer uh, I don't think they want to fall into the, the trap that the Ravens have where Lamar has been forced to just run because of the lack of development in the receiving core so I think with this added A.J. Brown with Devontae Smith Dallas Goddard, like you're, you're evolving the offense the way that the Ravens wanted to evolve it. So I think I think he's top five for me. All right, number five for me is Debo Samuel. Okay. Uh, it not just the receiving, just the overall. I mean, the game in general. He can do the end arounds. He can be a running back. He can be a receiver. He. Look, on offense, he just about single-handedly won the NFC Championship last year for the Packers. Or, no, it wasn't the NFC. That was the division round. But still, won the game against the Packers last year. Uh, I mean, this kid's dynamic. He's only going to get better. And when he has a more consistent quarterback throw into him. I'm really bagging on Jimmy G today, and I'm not trying to. But, I mean, look, watch a guy play. Numbers don't lie. I mean, Debo, 
Debo could be higher on this list. He could be number one. Mm-hmm. He has that kind of talent if he had a steady quarterback. If he's has Matthew Stafford throwing to him last year, hell, if he even has Kirk Cousins throwing to him last year, this kid is a record-setting receiver. Number four, Jamar Chase. Ah, me too. So, I guy took a year off his senior year. Comes in, questions in preseason. It's not seeing the ball well. Hands aren't good. This, that, the other thing. Blah, blah, blah. Goes out, rookie of the year, in the Super Bowl, Pro Bowl. The guy... Guy elevated his game, and I, I understand he does. He did have an advantage of having his starting quarterback from LSU as his starting quarterback with the Cincinnati Bengals. It's the way shit rolled, and he's taking advantage of it. He's got two talented receivers with him, but he's still the guy has just proven that he is a dominant force as a wide receiver. So I think number four and number four, but the chance to ascend to that number one spot as soon as this year. Oh, without a doubt. He's on a team that's only getting better. He has other weapons around him to take some of the focus off of him. Uh, And some players that hurts, it's not going to hurt Jamar Chase. He's going to be just fine. He can catch a screen pass and run 80 yards, or you can catch an 80-yard bomb in double coverage. He has the size. He has the hands. He has the attitude. He has the quarterback who is only getting better, who also trusts and believes in him. This kid, if he keeps going at his pace, could be one of the few who could challenge Devontae for number one. So I guess uh, since we agree, I'll move on to number three. I'm going to go Mike Evans. Okay. Been a dominant receiver for many, many years. Uh, even with J- Jameis Winston as the starting quarterback, he was able to grab balls that only he could get to because of his his wingspan and his catch radius. Uh, obviously, with Tom, he's been not having to do that as much, and now he's kind of expanded himself to be able to get more deep balls because Tom's able to put them on the spot better than Jameis ever was. So I, I think he deserves to be a top five receiver list. Um, he's just been so consistent, top level consistent, not, you know, 60 catches for 900 yards and five touchdowns. I mean, this is guy has been consistent for many years at a high level. And I think he's I think he's still one of the tops. He might start to dip because he's getting a little bit long in the tooth for receiver, but right now I think he sits sits at number three. I had him at number six, just outside my top five. But yeah, that was there were a lot of players I struggled with for their their, their positioning and he was one of them because he's he's right up there. Okay. Three for me. AFC East division rival, Stefan Diggs. Uh, you can say all you want. Oh, yeah, he has Josh Allen throwing to him. Well, 
I think Josh Allen benefits from Stefan Diggs as much as Stefan Diggs benefits from Josh Allen. Not a knock on either guy. They're just a great duo, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, everybody knows when it matters which receiver is getting the ball, and it still doesn't matter. Diggs still makes the plays in the regular season. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you did watch the AFC Championship celebration two years ago to come back and get one catch for 13 yards, so there's that. But I, I kid, I kid. That's my little, that's my uh, AFC East Division rival uh, knock there. But no, this guy's incredible. And I thought when he left Minnesota, uh, you wondered if he was going to be another guy who kind of just became a headache wherever he went and caused problems. And everything you've heard, he's been nothing but a fantastic teammate and great presence in the locker room in Buffalo. Uh, I can't stand him on the field when my team is playing against him because he's damn good and he always talks smack, but he backs it up. And I still think this guy could get better. I really do. I mean, almost 1,600 yards last year, I believe, if I'm looking at the right numbers here. And, I mean, uh, yeah, uh, let's see. Yeah, uh, two years ago, sorry. Almost 1,600 yards two years ago and 1,225 last year. Uh, Ten touchdowns. And, I mean, as consistent as it gets, great hands, great feet. I don't know what else to say, but he's he's phenomenal, and I hope he doesn't get better. My number two is going to be DK Metcalf. The dominant receiver, same draft class as A.J. Brown. Uh, unfortunately, the same draft class as Nikhil Harry. Um, who has not had the same trajectory as those two gentlemen. Uh, I will be interested to see where he falls on my list and anybody else's list after this season, whether it's going to be Drew Locke, Geno Smith at quarterback. Will he be able to do what DeAndre Hopkins did for many years in, in Houston? Um, I, I don't know, but... As far as the, you know, up to this point, DK has been one of the most dominant receivers in this game. And he's a matchup nightmare for any quarterback, cornerback in the game. And I think he has another level to him. But again, this is going to be one of these scenarios where is the quarterback going to bring him down to the lower tier? And that could be the unfortunate. Look, DK for me is, is look, he's as impressive a physical specimen as you have in the league. I mean, guys like DK and Aaron Donald, I mean, they just they look superhuman. Uh DK did not have a great year last year. He was inconsistent, disappeared for games at a time. I don't think that's gonna be the norm for him. I think he's gonna get better. I had him at fourteen on my list. Okay. Um, and it's my personal thing. Not I think he's capable of far more. And he showed the hustle a couple years ago in that, that what, Sunday night game when he chased down, uh, I forgot who they were playing, but he chased them down when they thought they were going to get the easy touchdown, mm-hmm. batted the ball out of his hands. Uh, he just disappeared last year. And I heard someone tell me when I said that before that Russell Wilson didn't play last year. Russell Wilson played 14 games last year, and DK Metcalf, who's supposed to be a number one guy, this dominant force, got 900 receiving yards. That's good. It's not top tier, though. He's got to be better than that. And if he wants to really be a stud receiver, like you said, Mike Evans without a lot of talent thrown to him, was still a feared top receiver. 
DK's got to do that. He can't just go off the uh, the, the his his twenty twenty numbers when he got thirteen hundred receiving yards and ten touchdowns. He didn't get twelve touchdowns last year, but he only under 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 a thousand yards receiving, and, and, and I mean seventy five receptions. He's just, in my book, he's just got to do better than that, and he can do better than that. So I'd be interested to see how he does. Because he's got to got to take focus off him and Tyler Lockett. He's there. They have talent in Seattle in the receiving core. So I don't know. He's he's kind of an anomaly to me. I I I I think he's got to step it up personally. That's just me. I think you can probably guess who number two is on my list. Uh, probably Cooper Cup. It's Cooper Cup. I mean, look at his stats last year. Um. He had a consistent quarterback throwing to him. And another case like Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs. Both the quarterback and the receiver benefit tremendously from the other one. Uh, Matthew Stafford has never been really struggling in the stats department, but consistency at receiver he has ever since Calvin Johnson retired when he was in Detroit. And now he has a guy in Cooper Cup who can do some really incredible things. And last year they took over that Super Bowl. On the offensive side, obviously Aaron Donald did on the defensive side. But they pretty much said nothing else we're doing is working here. I'm just Stafford the Cup, Stafford the Cup. That's it. They know what we're gonna do, and we're still gonna do it, and we're still gonna beat them. And they did. Until somebody proves he's not as good as he is, I'm gonna give him all the credit in the world. I'm gonna put him in my top five because there's guys who are bigger, there's guys who are stronger, there's guys who are faster, and they still don't do it better than Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup is gonna sound crazy here. I know it's not longevity, but I'm just. Hear me out here. Cooper Cup is the receivers, but Tom Brady is the quarterbacks. And what I mean by that is Tom Brady has never been the best athlete on the field. He's never been the fastest, never had the strongest arm. But he's been the smartest, and he's been the he, he's the best at knowing his situation and knowing how to excel in that situation. That's exactly what Cup does, and that's why he's as successful as he is. Number one. Number one, uh, my number one is uh, Debo Samuel. Ooh, okay. I think he's just after like if you asked me last year, he probably wouldn't be top fifteen, top twenty. Yeah. I think the season he put on elevated him to this level. Um, his versatility in the running game, being able to pass a little bit and receive, run routes bubble screens, end arounds, anything and everything, run between the tackles. I think that elevates him to number one. However, as we've discussed, he has this contract dispute going on to where I want to be paid for this. If I'm not going to be paid this, pay me this as a receiver, and I'm only going to be receiving. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. All I'm going to say is his value does diminish unless he proves otherwise as a, a more prolific receiver. His value does diminish as a receiver if you take out those X-factor abilities, uh, the added bonuses that he brings to the table. And I think that's what makes him the top receiver other than obviously Devontae. Yeah, hard to argue. It's funny. I thought when I took Debo at number five, you were going to say that was way too high. Uh, number one for me, um, 
it fit in too perfect when I saw the report earlier today. Justin Jefferson. Look, I, I call me crazy, but I, I just this kid is everything you want in a receiver. Got the size, got the hands, got the intelligence, got the attitude, got the swagger. 1,400 yards his rookie year. Only did better than that with 108 receptions and 1,600 yards and 10 touchdowns his second year. Keeps building on that. Who knows where he's going to go. He's in a perfectly good situation, very favorable situation, where he is probably... Look, Adam Thielen's an outstanding receiver, but Jefferson's definitely more athletic, I would say, and has more of an upside. And y'all know how much I love Adam Thielen. It's not a knock at all. But Jefferson is special. He is just special. Uh, He and Jamar Chase are two guys who I would go out of my way to watch. And, and I mean, I'd watch a game just to watch them play. So, and, and oh, Chris Godwin when he's healthy. Uh, I mean, I don't know what else to say. I mean, to me, he's number one. He's only going to get better. And, again, like, with like Jamar Chase, he's going to be a guy who, if he continues to progress at this current rate, will be challenging Devontae Adams in the next year or two for the top spot. Thank you very much for listening to episode 182. Any questions on this episode, past episodes, or anything sports-related at all, Ben and I would love to hear from you. And where can they get in touch with us? Well, you can hit us up on Twitter. That's at BCTSPod. Facebook, Ben and Chris Talk Sports. The website, BCTSPod.com. And on Instagram, N underscore Chris Talk Sports. And please don't forget, next step, next uh, next week or the week after, depending on how much content there is, you know, you never know. Uh, we'll be doing our top five receiving duos. We may see some of the same characters on those lists, but I think they'll be much different for the most part. Please go to wherever you download your favorite podcast, leave a rating and a review, and subscribe and ask a friend to do the same. We greatly appreciate the support. For Ben, I am Chris. Please stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you right back here probably next Sunday. Thank you.